preparatory to concluding our study of the attributes of God under the question, what do we know about the faithfulness of God from the Bible? We were reviewing our consideration of the natural attributes of God, which we had enumerated as fourfold, namely eternity, omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence, or to say them in different words, the beings of the Godhead are of endless existence from eternity past to eternity future, are everywhere present in a spiritual essence, which is beyond our understanding, of course, also possess a knowledge of all knowable facts or are not deficient in knowledge, and finally, are all-powerful or are without measure in concentration of energy. These are called natural attributes because they are basic qualities that do not involve choice of will or moral action. In reviewing our discussions upon the attribute of knowledge, we have seen that first the Bible ascribes to God a knowledge of every event that is taking place of any sort, in nature, in action, or in thought. This includes every past event as well as every present event, but as to every future event, this lacks proof, as we have affirmed. Secondly, God knows many future actions of men, which relates generally to the causative action of God in bringing to pass certain events. The Bible nowhere tells us that God knows all the future actions of all men, nor all of his own future actions. Thirdly, God has made many extended plans in his government of the world of men, which he brings to pass by moving directly upon men, causing them to accomplish certain things. Man, of course, is not morally accountable for what God moves him to do by his coercion. God made plans for Israel, for example, to sojourn in Egypt for about 400 years, and told Abraham so beforehand. Likewise, the 70-year captivity in Babylon was prophesied beforehand, after Israel had rejected the warnings of the prophet. God knows from the hardness of men's hearts that the gospel will not result in the conversion of the world. Therefore, our Lord in his great Olivet Discourse, as recorded in Matthew 24 and 25, could set forth the details of the end of the age of grace, which is still future, with the purpose to bring them to pass after the gospel has had world presentation among all nations. In the fourth place, there are Old and New Testament prophecies relating to the life and sufferings of Christ that indicate that the plan of redemption and many details of its fulfillment was known to God long beforehand. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, we read concerning the sacrificial death 
as having come to be perceived beforehand, indeed, before the foundation of the world. This indicates that God had a possible plan worked out before man's creation for man's salvation and redemption, should he be so foolish as to depart from the loving Creator's heart. How ridiculous has man become in violating the great loving heart of God. But if such should be the case, God had a plan of salvation worked out. But in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, we read concerning names being added in the book of life of the Lamb who had come to be slain from the foundation of the world or from the beginning of the race when Adam and Eve rebelled in sin. The advent of sin necessitated an atonement if it was going to be forgiven, and thus God resolved upon the certainty of the atonement from the very beginning of the necessity of forgiveness and instituted the animal sacrificial system to inspire faith and point toward the coming Savior. Thus we have the plan of atonement conceived before man's creation and resolved upon as a certainty since the foundation or dawn of the race when man entered into sin. In Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, we have the rejected and suffering Savior foretold about 750 years before the event and could only be on the basis which we have previously discussed. We have outlined the basis of these plans and operations the rejection of the Lord Jesus, who by his immaculate holiness and word testified to the world that the works thereof were evil, as recorded in John chapter 7 and verse 7, was a certainty. If the prophets had been despised and many of them put to death for their more feeble moral light, was there any chance that men would receive the light of the world whose great illumination should put them to shame? Thus God made plans as to how the blessed atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ could be accomplished in spite of man's expected rejection. The prophets accordingly spoke forth this great expectation to the extent which was clear enough for the spiritually minded to perceive, and yet it was not so pronounced that the rebellious mass of men would understand and would be influenced in their actions. These things were declared in that wonderful prayer meeting in Jerusalem after Peter and John had been released from their examination after the healing of the lame man at the temple's gate. The Spirit had mightily endued them with power and wisdom, as recorded in the fourth chapter of Acts, verses 19 and 20. How wonderful to see their boldness in the name of Christ. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, 
judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Thus forcefully the Holy Spirit endued them with might and power to carry forth their witnessing. But this prayer meeting recorded in the fourth chapter of Acts, verses 23 to 31, describes an unusual concentration of power and blessing and visitation. We read there, after Peter and John were allowed to go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, notice the unity of this prayer meeting, and said, now notice the authority that they felt concerning the things of God. Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Notice this verse in particular. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. Now notice in passing the profound power of the Holy Spirit that came upon this assembly. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. In view of man's expected rejection and violence, God had resolved upon certain purposes and had accomplished them. How wonderful to be on the Lord's side and to be in such a company as this. And thus while man had purposed the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God had made plans as to how the blessed atonement of Christ could be accomplished in spite of man's resistance and in spite of his rebellion. How important it is that we realize this astonishing fact. And although man purposed evil toward our Lord Jesus Christ and appeared to do all he could to hinder and limit the blessed atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, nevertheless God, in spite of all this, restrained men to the extent that they preferred the crucifixion rather than stoning. And thus, in this process of death, which existed for many days in the usual procedure of things, the Lord Jesus Christ could take the sins of the whole world upon his heart and die for the sins of the whole world. And thus he did not die of the wounds of the crucifixion, but he died of a broken heart for the sins of the whole world. How profound has been the fact 
that the atonement has been achieved in spite of man's hardness and in spite of man's resistance. God had placed the limitations as to what man could do with his blessed Son. But in passing, let us notice the wonderful result of this prayer meeting. When the mighty fullness of the Spirit descended upon them, they did not behave themselves in any strange and ridiculous manner, as some seem to associate with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But they were speaking the Word of God with boldness of speech, we read, or a mighty freedom of expression came upon them. So they glorified God and spoke forth with great power and with great clarity the wonderful works of God. Thus we need to strive in our Christian lives and look to God that we may walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and show forth these mighty blessings to the world. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this meditation upon Thy Word. We thank Thee for this account of this wonderful prayer meeting and how we thank Thee for the wonderful accomplishment of the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ in spite of man's rejection. Now how we pray that many may be moved to repent of sin, may come to thee as to a gracious God, and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ be forgiven and be reconciled to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.